Welcome to the SNS ICE podcast, your go-to source for the latest news and in-depth insights into the world of 6G in Europe. Join us as we dive into industry news, analyze the latest trends, and discuss the development of the new generation of cellular networks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the second season of the SNS ICE podcast. Actually, this is the eighth podcast. My name is Alex Kaloxilus. I'm the executive director of the CJ Industry Association, and I am delighted today to have with me uh, in this podcast two people that personally I consider them as legends in uh, the telecom uh, research and innovation area in Europe. So we have with us a person that has served for many, many years in the public side in several frameworks, and I had the pleasure to work with him during the 5G era, during the SNSDU era, Bernard, Mr. Bernard Barani and also Dr. Werner Moore. Dr. Moore has extensive experience uh, from the telecom sector. For many, many years, he was a person working in Nokia, and also he was extremely active in um, the research and innovation activities in Europe. He was leading key projects like the winner. He was uh, the heart and soul of the 5G Industry Association. He was serving as chairman in uh, Network Europe. And I have to say that both Bernard and Werner were behind the newly created SNSJU. So all the discussions from the proposal to the setup of the JU. So welcome, Bernard, and welcome, Werner. I don't know if you want to say something before we go into the questions. Yeah, thank you, Alex, for your kind introduction of both of us. I would say the same. Thanks a lot, Alex, for being very nice to us. And uh, we hope we are meeting or at the level of your expectations today. The main reason that I wanted to have you together in the podcast is the following. We have been working together during the 5G PPP and during the SNSJU. And you have a significant experience on how to set up R&I activities, but also evaluating these R&I activities. And these are the topics that I would like to discuss, starting from the 5G PPP era, what we have learned from the 5G PPP era, and then going to the ambitious program, which is the Smart Networks and Services in the EU. So let me start with the first question. People may know the 5G PPP was the predecessor of the SNSDU. Could you please summarize what were the main goals of the 5G PPP? And according to your opinion, were these goals being met? Werner, what do you think? Yeah, the main objectives were in 5G PPP, research innovation work towards 5G systems to support the introduction of 5G in the market and contribute to international standardization. Also, there were non-technical issues, like spectrum identification, where some contributions could be made, and education of experts. I would like to add some strategic goals for that. As we all know, mobile communications are successful because they are based on globally accepted standards. Such standards enable global roaming, multi-vendor interoperability and compatibility. That means we all can travel around can use our devices anywhere. But how do we get to such standards? They are based on consensus. And in this sense, programs like 5G PPP or the SNSGU are European research programs in the pre-competitive domain where more or less all stakeholders are cooperating. And this cooperation is the starting point for consensus building. And that is very important to build consensus at a very early stage of the research to get a smooth standardization process. 
And that is one of the main strategic goals of these collaborative research programs. Thank you very much, uh, Werner. Werner, a few words from your side on the PIVDBBP. Yes, thanks again, uh, Alex. So maybe I'll going a little bit back to the history of the 5GPPP. I think it has to be realized that we looked at first at the deployment in Europe of uh, 4G networks, and this happened in 2010, about, I think it was Telia, was deploying the first 4G network in Europe. And then at this moment in time, since we all know, and that's a well-known figure in the industry, that uh, it takes about 10 years to develop a new generation, we started to think in 2010, 2012, what comes next, what comes after uh, 4G. And then we had to initiate uh, interesting discussions with the ecosystem, with industry and research people, what could 5G be? be and where should Europe go for the next generation of system. It was not an easy task because we had different signals coming from Asia. For instance, Asia had a very much uh, focused view of future system looking into problems that they had specifically in Japan. For instance, uh, spectrum access was, uh, for instance, uh, difficult with a scarce uh, spectrum resource. So they had very clear uh, intention to go towards systems where spectrum usage would be uh, much uh, more efficient. The US went uh, potentially to towards other route, uh, looking more into um, what they called uh, broadband fixed wireless access. And at this moment in time, it was quite uh, some efforts to define a common line with the uh, European ecosystem, what we want to do. And I think this is one of the first uh, success of the 5GPP is that we managed, even before the launch of the 5GPP, to get through some exploratory projects like METIS, a kind of a good understanding and good um, system vision of what could be next generation type of systems. From that moment onwards, the 5 GPP setup, I mean, it was an administrative type of things from the European Commission side and trying to commit the money and to earmark the right budgets. But the moment we had this kind of clear ideas, we could start thinking of the overall objectives of the 5 GPP that would be first, as in every research program, to keep and to maintain the European industry competitiveness for next generation type of system. So this was very much important and enshrined uh, into the early objective, but also to generate a big uh, European momentum around these new generation systems in such a way that when time comes to deploy the technology, basically all the member states would be uh, on the same page and there would be no laggards. And I think this is something where the 5GBP has been quite, let's say, successful because Compared to 4G, if you look at 4G, the, the time window of deployment of 4G in, in Europe has been about seven years. So the early birds have been a certain year and the laggards have been uh, deploying seven years later. You don't see that much of a difference in 5G. So there has been this kind of common window of opportunity, which has been used across member states. And I dare to say this is a result of the momentum which has been created by the 5G PPP, which has at the same time raised awareness in, let's say, regulatory circles that this new technology would be coming and that something has to be done to prepare for the deployment. And this was, for instance, the, the development of the so-called 5G action plan that the commission introduced in uh, September 2016, which was providing the common roadmap for deployment of the technology. I think this is something which has been extremely uh, valuable from the 5GP perspective. And if you look at the number of companies or different entities which have participated from a European perspective in this initiative. It's more than 500 entities uh, all over Europe which have participated in 5GPP. So 
I dare to say it has created a significant technological momentum in Europe to put all the member states at the same level in terms of deployment and in terms of awareness of what the technology can do. And I think this is something which, in my view, has been a very valuable result of the 5GP, in addition to the traditional aspects, which is to have the right technology in European industry, to master the right technologies, to master the right staff, and to be present in the standardization bodies that Ferner mentioned. Maybe we can add that here we really started to cooperate with verticals much more than the programs before. And that was also one of the major objectives of 5G PPP. Indeed, that was a, a key success for the 5G PPP. Then clearly, in your opinion, the 5G PPP has been a success. So taxpayer money well spent. I would like to ask not necessarily what has worked well for 5G PPP because you have already provided examples, but Where are some things, some lessons learned, some things that you believe that we can do better in, uh, for example, the follow-up partnership, which is the SNLJU? What would, if you could go back in time, what you would do differently? Bernard, let's start with you this time. Yeah, I think in 5GPP, we took, uh, let's say, a certain approach, which was to involve the, the users a little bit downstream in the process. That means in the early phases of the 5GPPP, we worked with a very specific uh, set of industries and uh, research and academic centers or entities. And uh, we involved users, the so-called verticals, at the very end of the program. This is something that I think maybe we could have done it a little bit earlier. And this is what is being rectified in the SNS, uh, uh, let's say, roadmap, where the vertical industries and the potential users of the technology are involved from day one in the overall uh, initiative. This, I think, is good. What we have seen, of course, that political scene is a quite change compared to the early days of uh, 5G. And for instance, security matters have become really key and strategic for the telecom domain. Security is not necessarily a domain where uh, we put a lot of emphasis at the beginning of the 5G PPP, but this is something which is being, again, corrected now in SNS. And other segments of uh, industries, which we kind of did not necessarily incorporate uh, in the overall 5G roadmap, such as the microelectronics industry or the cloud industry, we believe it could have been better maybe to involve these kind of companies earlier in the process. Again, these are things which are being rectified now or which are being considered in the context of the SNS roadmap development. And uh, I believe this is something which will help to define systems which, from a European perspective, at the end of the day, cover the complete value chain and not only one bits and pieces of the value chain in terms of technologies, that means the communication part, but also will include all the various related elements, which I believe is something that probably will be useful in the context of these new policies that the union is pushing now, especially in terms of sovereignty or in terms of having a little bit more control, a little bit uh, better, say, say in the overall supply chain. Thank you very much. And uh, Werner, what do you think? What we could have done better in 5GPPP? I have a somewhat similar view like Bernard. It was not straightforward in 5GPPP to involve the verticals from the very beginning. This, uh, it took some effort to link the different sectors. But as Bernard said, during 5GPPP, the situation improved by specific calls and especially on joint projects in trials, where the communication sector was cooperating with certain vertical sectors. Another point, 5G PPP was focused on direct communication sector 
and some related sectors such as microelectronics were not directly involved. There were some companies coming from the microelectronics participating in some projects, but the microelectronics as such were not covered. Therefore, the assumption was somehow necessary microelectronics will be there when we need them. This is now different in SNS, where we started quite early to build up closer links to microelectronics. And there are also some calls related to that, because we have to see how the requirements from 6G can at the end be really implemented. Something similar is ongoing when we look at the cloud community. Therefore, the areas 6G and SNS will address are much wider than 5G PPP. And I think these are lessons which we are taking into account from the development in 5G PPP. Thanks, Werner. Before moving into the area of the SNSJU, there has been a, a lot of work, and I can testify how much effort Werner, you and Bernard, you have placed in um, the transformation of the 5G PPP into a joint undertaking, which is a different instrument. Could you say just, you know, for, the, for us to educate the people listening to the podcast, if this was a simple task, which I can testify it was not, why this took place? And do you believe there were some clear benefits in doing so, or was it, you know, an exercise that was too much work without the results that we would like to see. Bernard. Yes, thanks, uh, Alex. Uh, I can testify absolutely along your line that it was definitely not a simple task to create uh, this uh, joint undertaking out of the 5GPP, which is what was called the contractual public-private partnership in, uh, let's say, Brussels jargon, for several reasons. First of all, industry was quite satisfied with the 5G PPP model that they found quite flexible and quite adaptable to their needs. And they didn't see the need to go into something which was perceived as more constraining in the nature with a legal basis and with all sorts of administrative arrangement, which would be seen as creating additional red tape. The commission itself was not in the mood of creating more joint undertakings because the mood was towards simplification, less pre-established initiatives to keep the flexibility of implementing the program the way you like. And all that was creating a certain number of hesitations to move into JU. But where we believe the JU would be the right instrument to go for was on a number of aspects and primarily because of what I said before is that at the beginning of the 6G beyond 5G DALI uh, period, we still believe that developing a new generation of communication system takes 10 years. So you need a 10 years visibility, a 10 years roadmap and a 10 years commitment. So it means that if you want to put something that works, you need to have visibility on the process over at least six, seven years from the research perspective to be sure that you can design a roadmap that uh, everyone will buy into and will contribute to and that you can commit over these six, seven years the budget that needs to be committed 
to reach the objectives that you need to reach over this time period. It's not a system where you can go in start-stop mode. You know, you do something during two years and two years later, you do something completely different as it happens in some cases of the Horizon Europe program. You can decide to work on a certain item for two years and then two years later, you do something completely different. We believe that to work in a systematic manner and in a kind of stable manner on a system like 6G, we need to have a strong commitment from the main actors in Europe, from the main stakeholders, and a long-term visibility in terms of what kind of roadmap we have to implement and what budget fits that roadmap. And the joint undertaking was precisely the tool to make this visibility and this long-term commitment possible. That's the reason why it was it was pushed. If we would have stayed in the contractual PPP mode, we could have had much more, uh, let's say, a variation and variability in terms of budget commitment over the six or seven years down the road. And to a certain extent, things would have been much more unpredictable if you take into account the competition that exists at commission level for all the various items which are competing for the same pot of money. Thank you very much, Bernard. And what about the same story from the private side, Werner? You were the driver of this proposal, so. Yeah, originally, the private side uh, preferred to keep the approach of a PPP, like in 5G PPP, as Bernard said. The reason was, we felt we have not too much administrative overhead. We can focus on research. But on the other hand, that also turned out during the discussion, AGU is based on a European regulation, which is basically a European law. And that is what Bernard meant. There is a security of the area and the budget during the lifetime. And the lifetime is the full financial period from 2021 to 2027. Therefore, there is much more planning security. This, I think, is a major advantage to have said, of course, there are drawbacks, there is an administrative cost for the office, there are these in-kind contributions and additional contributions, but I think in the overall balance, there are some advantages. Of course, it was difficult in the beginning to set it up. Bernard explained it from the Commission side. And also from the private side, we had to set up different structures, more structures than we had in 5G PPP. On the other hand, we could reuse some of our, of our ideas, like steering board of projects, technology board. We are using the strategic research innovation agenda approach, which we had before. Therefore, we did not need to invent everything from the beginning. Another important point is also with respect to the today's geopolitical situation, AGU is putting the area much higher on the political agenda. And as Bernard said, we need to keep the attention for a 10 years life cycle. And with the AGU based on a European law, this at the end is easier to achieve than with a program where it's easier to make changes, to cut budgets, if somewhere budget is needed. Therefore, at the end, I would say it turned out quite well. 
and I guess we come later to that in our discussion. And I think the buy-in by the community is also quite good. Thank you very much. So I have also to agree that this was a useful transformation, has been proven from uh, in real life. Now, a lot of people are saying the following. 5G has promised a lot of things. Okay, it's a successful technology, but till A, it has failed to provide some monetization of, of this technology, and B, the promise of 5G was going to be a fully flexible network that uh, was going to fully digitize uh, the verticals, etc. So my question is, A, why the SNSJU was needed? And in layman's terms, if you could summarize, what is exactly the SNSJU? What is expected from the SNSJU to, to be offered at the end of the program? Bernard, let's start with you. Well, in terms of expectations that were not met, I would say that the 5G PPP as an initiative really made a lot to bring this new concept of telecom networks for vertical industries, which is something that is carried over into the 6G to the 6G era. And I believe that it takes a little bit more time now to see the value of communication networks transforming or fully digitizing specific segments of the industry, such as initiatives like Industry 4.0 in Germany or automotive. But the momentum is there, so it may take a little bit longer but this is something which is now in motion. And even though it has not been as quick as, uh, let's say, market people or uh, forecast uh, would have indicated, this is something that will probably come. And this is something which is also very, very uh, important in the context of 6G. In that particular context of the verticals, I think the 5GBB was one of the very few initiatives in the world that started already in 2015 to identify vertical use cases as important use cases for communication networks and for IG. At this moment in time, the US were very much focused on broadband and Asia as well. This was basically the only use case where there was a lot of attention. And Europe developed something a little bit different with this notion of 5G for the vertical industry, which was to a certain extent also reflected in China. China had some similar type of similar type of views on the potential use cases for some other reasons, but they had also this type of notion of 5G for the verticals. Now, this is something which has taken a little bit of time because this was not a priority domain at the level of 3GPP. So when 3GPP started to develop on the standards for 5G, they started to work on the EMBB use cases because this is where the highest demand was from Asia and from the US. But now the motion towards telecom networks for verticals is well established. And one of the results that we have seen, and we believe the 5GPPP and later SNS, the early phases of SNS, are really very important to reach the goals that we have, for instance, vertical industry associations participating in 3GPP, like 5G Asia, which is representing the industry for the zero sector. Sometimes they have even contributions which are directly based on projects which are running at European level. I would have a few examples on that if needed. Same for the Automotive Association, the 5GAA, which is now, let's say, a frequent or regular contributor to standardization, which is now a well-established contributor to this uh, 3GPP uh, standardization activities. So this is something that maybe the expectations were not completely met, but I believe we have put in place 
the momentum to reach the expectations. And I think this is something which is very important. SNS for me is something which should go on, capitalize on that and amplify this move with the additional notion that SNS is not under a kind of urgency situation as 5G was. Because in 5G, the move towards early standardization of the technologies was initiated very early in the process by some industrial actors from Asia and from the US, which is not what we can see in the 6G today. So we have a little bit more time to prepare for the standardization era or the standardization time starting from 2025 onwards. So we have a little bit of uh, time to prepare, let's say, uh, the set of technologies that we want to promote from a European perspective for the use case we want to promote. And this is what the SNSGU is about. It's uh, really, as Werner said, it's a legal framework which puts together a public part, which is the European Commission, which provides part of public money. Private side, which is represented by the 6G Industry Association, which has these days more than 200 or 250 members. I don't remember the exact figure, but it's more than 200 members, which is quite a huge figure compared to the 5G PPV days when this association only had 40 or 50 members. And these two blocks coming together share a common objective to develop the European vision for 6G, which is uh, well in place, and put in place, let's say, the mechanisms or the research mechanisms to uh, develop the technologies which are underpinning this vision. And this is a very powerful tool, in my view, because as Werner said, we are in a collaborative stages in the pre-competitive phase, which kind of stimulates collaboration between partners. And it helps a lot to have some fluidity of the ideas passing from one side to the others, and also to prepare for the standardization in hopefully 2025. This is going to be open by 3GPP. Thank you very much, Bernard. And Bernard, could you please share with us your view? Why the SNSDU? I mean, what is the SNSDU for people coming from the private side? Why they are investing money and effort? to participate in this kind of activities? What is their expectation at the end? Yeah, maybe one addition to that, what Bernard said. I think we should understand for 5G, when we talk with vertical sectors, these sectors also need some time to build up trust in new technology. Because the expectation is they should say, change their processes, which in some cases are established for many, many years. And um, if you all talk about transformation of society, transformation of economy, to go towards digitization, this will require major changes. And this does not happen over time. And when other sectors start to adopt new technologies, like 5G, they have to become familiar they have to build up trust and they have to look what are the benefits. That, I think, simply takes some time. Therefore, we should not be astonished that maybe some marketing expectations were not yet met or that it simply takes time. It will come. And we can see it's coming, but we simply need some time. Yes. Why the private side is going in an initiative like SNS? When I look at the mobile communication sector, there's now more than 30 years experience in collaborative research. And uh, when we look back in the 90s, the industry was involved in the development of 3G. 
Zen up to about 2010 in 4G, then up to 2020 in 5G, and we made good experience. The industry learned in these days, especially in the 90s, how to cooperate. Because we also should understand in collaborative research from industry perspective, it's cooperation between competitors. If different vendors are on the same project, they are competitors. If they are network operators in, these are customers. Therefore, the industry has a lot of business relations and now we are coming together in a pre-competitive phase and we needed to learn how to cooperate. This we learned during 3G and that we could exploit during the 4G development and also in 5G. And so the industry has understood there are a lot of benefits to cooperate at an early stage. Technology development also is never stopping. Therefore, it is rather clear that something will happen after 5G. And uh, these were the motivations to look at a new research initiative after 5G PPP and still to cooperate. Because we all understood there's a lot of benefit by cooperation I mentioned before, the consensus building machine of these programs. Because when you cooperate in the research phase, even with your competitors, you build up automatically a basic consensus which will be exploited in standardization. And that allows us to develop products and standards and systems which are globally accepted. And that provides a lot of benefits for all of us. I think these are the main drivers to go into an initiative like SNS. Thank you very much, Bernard. Very, very clear. Coming a little bit to the end of uh, the podcast, I have two questions. The first one is, right now we have projects that have been selected in the 2022 call. They are entering their second year. And we have, from the call of 2023, projects that have just started. The first question is how you would evaluate operation of this NRJU so far. And more importantly, if we move into the future, at the end of the SNSJU, what would you like to see that would make this NSJU a success and a story where we can say that the European taxpayers' money were well spent? Bernard, again, let's start with you. Thanks again. So from the perspective of the work of the SNSGU, you can look at it from several perspectives. A first challenge was to, as I said before, to mobilize the constituency and the stakeholders under SNS. And I think this has been, I would say, brilliantly achieved because, as we mentioned, the industry association has multiplied the number of partners by a factor of four. We have in the first call, not exactly 300 different entities, but something like 290 different European entities participating in the first call. So there is a huge mobilization of the European stakeholders around this program. And I think this is to put to the credit of the organization and the way the GU has been conceived. It has a certain level of bureaucracy, as Werner said. 
part, I think it has been kept minimal at this moment in time, which makes the things move smoothly and helps people to concentrate more on the technology than on the bureaucratic implementation of the joint undertaking. From the technological perspective, I would tend to believe that the JU as uh, it is being implemented now through some uh, 60 projects about, if I take the two calls which have been subject of evaluations, they represent basically all the technological elements which are being promoted under the 6G vision. One of the very first, in my view, one of the very first success of SNS is that very much the same as in 5G PPP, SNS has been able to define a vision. What kind of system we want for the future, what kind of use case, what kind of techno-economic view we have for the future. And this is reflected with a set of technologies which have to be developed to sustain or to underpin this type of vision. And I believe that most of the concepts the technological pillars which are at the foundation of this uh, vision are being reflected in the projects which are being implemented now. Also, with the added bonus that we have in the implementation of SNS, XX and XX2 projects, which are the so-called flagship, which are defining the overall, let's say, system concepts that fits or that matches the European vision. So it's a very consistent set of projects, very complementary, some being more system-oriented, some being more uh, looking into very specific technologies such as usage of new spectrum or, uh, let's say, uh, improvement of of the architectures or bringing AI at each and every layer of the architectures. But we, uh, all of this is being uh, reflected in the work which is being running now. As we said before, it is being complemented by work which touches upon, let's say, domains which are very much related, such as microelectronics uh, or cloud security. This is something which is good to cover the overall universe of uh, technologies. And one thing which is very important in 6G from uh, what I understand is that contrary to 5G, there is now by the stakeholders very uh, strong movement towards the coverage of sustainability issues and sustainability now is being ramped up and is becoming one of the key topics of the uh, work program. So this is again going to be very well uh, covered, I believe, with the difficulty that much more difficult to define KPIs in the domain of sustainability than uh, you can define KPIs for a network where you, you say, can say, I want such a bitrate or such a latency level. So all this is in motion. And I think it is on good tracks to deliver nice uh, results. And if you ask me, what are the criteria I would select to say at the end of the journey, this has been successful, this has not been successful, I would say first, the European momentum that it has created. And I think that if we manage down the road to have large trials with verticals, which will try to test this technology and see how they can make this technology available for their specific use case, for their specific business model, for their specific, let's say, business environment, this will already be, in my view, a first demonstration of success of the work. Another element is, of course, related to the fact that regulators at some stage will have to take the pattern. The pattern will have to be transferred to the regulators to see under which conditions they regulate the, impl the uh, implementation of 6G uh, communications in uh, Europe. And this, if 
We managed to do like in 5GPP, there is a kind of coordination, coordinated action plan for Europe to implement this new technology. I think this would be a good measure of success as well. And finally, as Werner mentioned, the influence on standard is something which uh, probably is a very important measure, even though it's sometimes difficult to understand when a technology is standardized, if it comes out of a certain project or if it comes out of a certain industry or partner in a project or if it comes completely outside of it. It's not that easy to measure the origin of of a standardized technology. But this is something where we are also, or the commission is putting uh, tools in place to, to trace that. And hopefully we can say at the end of the journey that uh, the standard the standard that come out of uh, Switch EPP uh, have been quite a lot worked on and debugged, if I may say so, from a technology perspective in SNS. And uh, this would be a good matching of uh, a successful result conclusion, if I may say so. Thank you very much, Bernard. And Werner, what is your take on this question? Yeah, there is not too much to add. I think we can all agree the community is really buying in. As Bernard said, I think the association has now about 250 members, which is very useful. It shows there's a lot of interest. But I think what we should add is the cooperation of the work program the calls for proposals is done in cooperation between the private side, the GEO office and the EU commission. And the private side has a significant impact on the development of the work program. Therefore, and this is something what is promised in the proposal when we developed um, the SNSGU, this I think is very important that the private side can really influence what are the important topics where to do research, where to do trials. It does not mean that the private side is simply selecting the projects, but the private side is influencing what is the agenda, where we are doing research. And this is done in a close cooperation between the three entities, Commission, Geo Office, 6G Infrastructure Association, and it's based on an even wider community to start from the strategic and innovation agenda of NetWorld Europe, where we have a much wider community involved in the development of that. Therefore, what is done in the research has a huge backing by the community in Europe. Thank you very much, Bernard. And first, I say that the number of the members that we have in the association currently is 310. 70 of which are verticals. And I think that's uh, also a significant number, having 70 verticals in association with the main focus being the telecom activities. My last question would be the following. Things are progressing. There is some bureaucracy in Europe planning for the next frameworks. Do you think that the SNSJU will be the end of the road? Do we need another partnership after the SNSJU? Or you think that based on the further evolution of the networks, of the softwareization, etc., the further modifications in the future are going to be trivial, so not worth of a partnership. Bernard, let's start with you at the closing, and then we'll go to Bernard. I would not say it's the end of the journey. We should realize we don't know the further technology development in the ICT sector over the next 10 years. We simply don't know. With each system generation, we had these discussions. People were questioning Oh, why do we need a new generation? We have just invested in 
our actual system, there were always concerts. On the other hand, humans are creative and innovative. They invent something new. And the experience has also shown that always new services and applications were developed based on new technology, but often no one has considered these services and applications when we were planning the new technology. Because let's assume in 2010, we worked on 5G, we started to work on 5G, we had some expectations what may come in 2020. And this is very difficult to imagine over 10 years time in the service applications domain. It's easier in the technology domain. The same will happen here. There are visions now on 6G. What is happening after 2030? We don't know. There will be some weaknesses identified that could be an evolutionary approach to work on further evolution of 6G, like we did in 5G. They may also be completely new ideas. Maybe the focus areas are changing where we will do research. But I think we can never assume everything is already invented and we are simply at the end of the story. And when you are you asking will. when should we start to prepare something new, this financial framework is ending in 2027. Therefore, a new initiative would start in 2028, roughly. It takes about three years of preparation. Therefore, I think we should start latest in 2025 to work on the next step. Thank you, Werner. I see, Bernard, that you agree with Werner. We need to start working on the next framework, or what do you think? About the yes, next framework on concrete. Absolutely. I think that if we want to have something in place by 2028, it will be time to start thinking of what it is that we want to do end of this year and next year to ramp up this kind of brainstorming type of activity from a European perspective. But to, to come back to, to the early questions, I mean, is there a need for something after SNS? And I fully, of course, agree with the, the, the answer of Werner that, that there is a need. If I take an example, when we were discussing 5G at standardization level, many people in 5G said there will be no 6G, there is no need of a 6G. At this time, the, the reason for that was 5G is being designed as being forward compatible. There was this notion of forward compatibility that you can enhance whatever new spectrum usage comes across and you can insert it in the radio system. Actually, people have shown that this is a kind of limited view and you need something more if you want to cover the use cases. And the innovation comes from the use cases, not necessarily from the connectivity type of requirements. So at some stage, I believe that we will see a need to bring connectivity to new domains where it's not so much established at this moment in time. One typical issue that will remain, in my view, an open issue for some time is global coverage. For instance, people have been talking for global coverage for decades now. And this is something that we still don't have. Okay, people say we have, but we have Starlink now. This is solving the equation. It's not solving the equation because the capacity is very limited. It's uh, very expensive. And so there are a number of uh, issues which are associated with this. So you can find a number of uh, domains 
where there will be a need to progress the technology, either because you want to make the system very global or because you want to make the systems very local. We have been talking about bad area networks or networks that can go into your physical type of being, you know, human being. This is something which has not really emerged so far. This is something which is still in in the research domain. There are a number of domains where we will see that there will be a need to progress the technology. Whether this is going to be called a 7G or something like that, I don't know. Honestly, this is something that I just don't know if the G, let's say, model of 10 years, uh, one new generation is going to stay or not. That's something that uh, I'm not in a position to say this is going to happen. But to progress the technology for new use cases and to make things with more performance and also with more sustainability, because we see now, just emerging now, this notion of sustainability, which in my view will have uh, long-lasting effects on how the technology is going to be conceived and how the technology is going to be developed and operated. So all these type of things will probably have to be structured and developed a little bit more in a continuation program. And as Werner says, if we want to have something structured with a decent roadmap that we can convince the policymakers to make that happen, work should start next year, I think is a good measure of when it should happen. Okay, with this question, we have completed the podcast. I hope that uh, our listeners will find it interesting. Definitely, I did find, as always, discussion with you is extremely interesting. I'm learning a lot of things. I would like to thank you both for not only for your time, but on behalf of the community for all your hard work for decades on the connectivity world in Europe. So thank you very much. And uh, many thanks to our listeners. Thanks to you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. This podcast is brought to you by SNS ICE, an EU-backed project focused on creating a collaborative environment for the development and deployment of 6G smart networks and services. Received funding from the European Union's Horizon Europe Research and Innovation Program under grant agreement number 1010958411.